0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This podcast work that I've taken on happily and for so many, many episodes, just keeps bringing me great treasures of new explanations, if you will, new finds of what practice is. Probing the nature of practice is what I'm doing. And this conversation with Brandon Cleaver is makes me so happy about the future for this young academic, a uh, non-traditional academic, I guess we could still call him, there at Kansas State University. But also the whole investigation of practice that he is now involved in with looking at leadership as shared practice, not just one person. So why do I keep rambling when you can hear a great guy having a lot of impact on me in the 30 or so minutes that we talk? So here's Brandon. Well, folks, since I started this journey with Peter Vale almost three years ago, following my intrigue about the nature of practice, down, up, down and around through very, very, very many conversations, attending virtual meetings. Thank you, Zoom. Uh, tracking down who's doing some sort of real forward thinking about any aspect of practice. And certainly leadership is a huge aspect of practice. I I uh, first talked to Joe Rayland, who knew Peter quite well. Uh, I And then I followed Joe for a while. And I see now that he has brought, together a very interesting group of people globally who look at leadership as practice writ large (laughs) across a spectrum of people behaving in a particular moment and hosting a wonderful discussion group looking at some of the publications in leadership as practice is brand is brandon cleaver did I pronounced that correctly, Brandon.
1: That, that was that was correct, Dave.
0: <laughs> and Brandon, you have a wonderful title, longer than my short-term memory will allow. Tell us who, uh, your your position there in Kansas.
1: Of course. And, and thank you, Dave, for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm glad to be here and have this conversation with you. Um, but I'm an associate professor of civic leadership at the Staley School of Leadership Studies at Kansas State University. Mm.
0: Now, that gives me the first clue of what I want to ask, because I think I'd like to really know more about you than uh, than just what you're doing and hosting these meetings, which are terrific. Uh, And you're doing some wonderful pre-reading and setting up some nice, simple slides for us so that those of us who didn't quite get the reading done well, you do a beautiful synopsis. I was very impressed with that. But civic leadership, Mm -hmm. if you would take that back into your history, Where did you make that first connection with the civic aspect of of uh, anything, but particularly leadership?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm traditionally trained as a political scientist um, and interested in um, theories of democracy and the role of citizens and civic engagement in influencing institutions. Um, And so for me, um, I was always interested in different forms of deliberative and participatory forms of democracy and the role of of citizens in that work. And, you know, one of the things that I I think I started uh, down this path that got me here to leadership as practice from a kind of civic perspective is that, you know, also in political theory and, um, you know, most theories of democracy, it, it does start. Um, I think, from the perspective of the individual. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. has to do with our you know, Western political philosophy and, and different traditions that we draw on on our, our, our contemporary political thought. But one of the things that I realized when, when doing some of this civic engagement and community-engaged scholarship work is that it wasn't just the individual um, that was interesting. It was the interconnections, the networks, the co-emerged, the co-created, and and realized that I didn't really have a framework to make sense of those those aspects. And so, um, you know, in my early days, I was doing a lot of community and organization development work, both, Mm -hmm. you know, for nonprofits, for government, for for for-profit companies, and realized that, you know, when listening to the challenges that these organizations faced, it typically wasn't a, a skill issue for you know the, the collective individuals. It was their collective capacity as an organization to make progress on difficult challenges and, and, and make sense and move through complexity. And so I, I had this sense that we needed new frameworks and new paradigms to think about leadership development and organization development. And that kind of that's what led me to this this path of leadership as practice and, and practice theory more generally.
0: How did you migrate to the, your particular university? Are, did you, were you from the area originally or, and then what, uh, what is the mission really of the department that's supporting you as an associate professor?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I think, um, you know, part of that is, is um, you know, when I was coming up through graduate school, I had the fortunate opportunity to go to Virginia Tech and the University of Georgia. And so a lot of my graduate training was embedded within um, what we might call campus community partnerships or community engagement, uh, outreach and extension. Um, and that, uh, I think, exposed me to, in my mind, the role that land grants have in a democracy mm-hmm. um, and, and this, the larger civic purpose of, of a land grant university to try to make progress on the grand challenges facing our states, our, our countries and the world. And so, um, you know, that, that, that DNA of the land grant was, uh, I think built into my studies and my research interests. And so, um, I actually did a postdoc, um, at the university of Georgia after I completed my PhD in outreach and extension, uh, Mm. that was, uh, focused on doing some work related to entrepreneurship led economic development and, um, working with the journal of higher education, um, and outreach and engagement, the journal that they host there, um, and then I ended up at a regional university down at in Southwest Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University, and I, I directed their um, civic engagement program, where we had a course called the Foundations of Civic Engagement, where students did um, you know community engaged work with nonprofits, trying to make progress on a range of issues. And when, when I was down at FGCU, one of the things that I had gotten connected to while I was in Georgia was Points of Light. Uh, mm-hmm. point, yeah, points. I, know it.
0: I know it well. Yeah. Yep.
1: So, Points of Light at the time was the world's largest nonprofit devoted to volunteer service. And mm-hmm. so, I was uh, actually flying back and forth from Fort Myers to Atlanta uh, in those years Uh, which ironically the the flight was sometimes quicker than some of my colleagues that had to fight the Atlanta traffic. Uh, (laughs)
0: um, (laughs) The notorious Atlanta traffic.
1: Exactly. And so I I enjoyed those experiences and um, did some work with them on thinking on how could we do some of this community engaged learning through various online, you know, temp uh, platforms. Mm And so we're getting to how I got to connected to the Staley School. Keep
0: going. It's a great story. (laughs) I'll tell you a couple of coincidences when you get to the point of telling. Okay.
1: So (laughs) while I was doing this work at at, uh, Points of Light, uh, one of the things that kind of surfaced was we were trying to find, you know, university partners. And one of the things that came up at the time was Points of Light had a program called the Hands-On Network, which was essentially, Volunteer resource centers that were focused on rural communities, trying to help increase the capacity for volunteer service and volunteerism, and uh, in in that process, um, one of the uh, points of light folks said, "Oh well, I know you know Kansas State University. They're one of our you know uh, only hands-on affiliates that at, that is at a university. We should you know bring them into this conversation." And so, mm. um, at the time, um, I you know, knew of K-State, but I didn't really know much of the Staley School and, and what their mission and vision and purpose was. And so by getting connected uh, to, to the Staley School through points of light, I, I quickly learned that the Staley School has a, has a really big commitment to leadership and engagement. And, and we, we think of that as the larger purposes of higher ed. Uh, we mm-hmm. are an mm-hmm. undergraduate minor that serves every college on campus. Uh, We also have an interdisciplinary PhD program uh, that spans multiple colleges with the idea that when we think about leadership communication, it's inherently an interdisciplinary effort.
0: Mm -hmm. um, And
1: and what makes both of our, or really all of our academic programs, um, you know, I think unique and different and aligned with my uh, vision for leadership studies and and higher ed is that they're all engaged. Uh, in the sense that our students are trying to make progress on real world issues so you know obviously mm. we we you know read theory, we read research articles but all of the purpose of preparing our students, whether they be undergrads or graduate students to try to make progress on real world issues um, and 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 we do that uh, we have a global food systems uh, leadership program where we have students that, you know, think about leadership activity through the lens of global food systems. Mm. Um, in our minor, we, we find that students come to our programs. They might be, a, you know, an engineer, a business student, an English, mm-hmm. English student, but they all have some interest in, you know, what we might call civic issues or understanding how their learning and development can impact bigger purposes. And so that's what really drew me to the Staley School. Um, I've been here for eight years. I actually uh, received tenure the weekend before uh, March 2020 when we all went on lockdown. So uh,
0: yeah, wow, it was
1: it was right before then. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited uh, to be here. And there's a lot of energy at Kansas State University around leadership and engagement. And I think that's what keeps me here, keeps me energized. Um, and and it's it's always fun to work with with graduate students and undergraduate students that you know, share um, an understanding that higher education has a, has a bigger purpose um, and, and, and trying to pursue that, that civic minded uh, pursuit.
0: Wow. (laughs) Well, uh, first uh, I wish I was an almost 80. (laughs) I wish I were uh, following you along your track. And uh, even though I was a sociology major in undergrad, uh, the, political sciences and all those things that you mentioned would very be much in the way my head works too. So it isn't all about me. It is about you, Brandon, but it's a terrific story. Uh, And a couple of quick connections. One, when you were down there in Florida, did you know Eric Dent?
1: Eric Dent, the at, name
0: at that school
1: Yeah, at, at FGCU. The name sounds familiar, but I don't I don't know if we cross paths. What 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 department well, was Eric? He, in?
0: He's in management in the School of Business, okay. I believe, but his focus is on um, ethics and community and, you know, the moral aspects of community leadership. Uh, he was a student of Peter Vales at George Washington University and uh, really, really cared about Peter a lot and wrote a beautiful, a couple of beautiful articles and chapters about Peterville. So I I got, I connected with Eric very early in, in our, in my journey of uh, finding initially people who knew Peter and then eventually people who had uh, a passion for practice, yeah, okay. which, which you clearly do. That's one connection. Secondly, I think when we were waiting for starting one of our leadership Reading, reading meetings, um, I mentioned to you that I had been involved with our Small Town America Civic Volunteer Award Program funded by Civic Plus, And you said, wait a minute, they're just <laughs> down the road. Of course. <laughs> that was another coincidence. This is yes. very strange how that happens. And then uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, co-principal of, uh, of Barton Russell Group, um, Ken Sternad, uh, had been the vice president and f- president of the foundation for UPS and a number of things. And he, when he s- went into retirement, living there in Atlanta, he became, uh, he was on the board of points mm-hmm. of light mm-hmm. when we started the award points of light was one of our co-sponsors.
1: Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so I got, the,
0: I I got the peek at the wonders of points of light and it's uh it's tremendous, um, I mean, one of the things they do is they recognize a a, a volunteer every day, (laughs) which, which I think is great individual volunteers, but then they talk about their setting and how does it, that they became successful in, in that particular uh, endeavor. So that's another coincidence. (laughs) And I think I could uh, throw in two or three more, but I I think the, Oh, uh, (laughs) for a good phase of my career, uh, I was a community educator, Mm -hmm. initially uh, a fellow with the Mott Foundation in the 60s, where we studied the community school concept. But when Mm I uh, finished my doctorate at UConn, University of Connecticut with Peter Vale as my my main mentor, uh, I went into uh, higher education, community education by moving back to my home state of Maine, and instituting uh, a division of public service for one of the branch campuses, not Mm. for the land-grant campus out in the Western Mountains. Uh, And I worked hard at that, and I raised, among other things, almost a million dollars of Kellogg money, Mm. uh, Kellogg Foundation money, to support health education of the public. That was our, our mission in the 70s and early 80s and a number of other things. All of that work was terrific. And it all had to do with convening people from uh, diverse uh, connections to whatever the theme, particularly in health education, when we wrote the Kellogg grant, we had everything from the, you know, the medical association and the major hospitals to the rural hospitals. Then we had a lot of, a lot of people, just people who didn't want to get sick. And so it was a wonderful convening. And so when our Proposal went into Kellogg. Uh, they were stunned at how much engagement main people were having for our little tiny campus. Maybe we had eleven hundred students at best mm-hmm. around this idea of getting at the learning aspects of health uh, health stability and, and in incre- betterment as opposed to you know the medical and the other the other kinds of ways that people were being treated after the fact. So that was a hell of a period of time for me, but we just couldn't sustain it with grants. And so I I went to my other love, which is, uh, which is teaching organization behavior. And then the rest of my career was teaching. But uh, in the meantime, though, I've never lost my belief in what a group of people can do at the grassroots, as we used to call them before you were born, uh, my son, uh, grassroots. And uh, I worked grassroots. I worked them hard. And even as a professor, when you talk about partnerships, I was working to foster partnerships in healthcare. Uh, we had a big partnership with the Travelers Corporation so that my students, who were grassroots people in my yeah. regional campus, most of them had never had no family, had been to college, could get their voices heard to get mm-hmm. to the table before they graduated yeah. <laughs> so that they could come out uh, energized and and confident more than what it could create in a classroom or at a library. So, yeah, you and I are sort of uh, <laughs> a whole, I think we're sole, sole grandfather, grandson. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> When uh, you need the support of your your school and the university totally to move into new directions like you are now with leadership as practice, mm-hmm. uh, do they get it? Is it clear or do you have to be a, a bit of a, a a guy on the frontier, you know, calling the wagons in? Come on, it's OK. It's safe out here now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, we have a, a very unique uh, school with a, a wide mission, right? So, we're not all actually faculty. We have a lot of programs as well. So, we have both staff and faculty that are advancing the mission. And and so, I think one of the benefits of that is we have a big tent. Um, and mm-hmm. I think one of the roles that our, our research and tenure track faculty have is to try to, you know, conduct research and bring the leading edge ideas into the school and introduce them, right? And and I think uh, we might call this maybe adaptive space or or um, you know uh, you know a, a space in which innovations trying to be you know percolate. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think in some ways our institution uh, sees some of the work at the Staley School as that you know, ecosystem of innovation um, that's taking place, uh, at least through the lens of, you know, leadership, learning, and development. Um, You know, our organization is actually, we we report to the provost, so we exist uh, under the provost. Our our tenure lines are actually in the College of Education. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I think one of the reasons and rationale for, for that organizational structure is that you know, we want to try to be a, a resource for the entire university. Um, mm. and, and it's not necessarily just about uh, a commitment to a discipline or guiding questions that are connected to a disciplinary lens, but instead, you know, the role leadership and engagement has in, in, in making progress on pressing challenges. And so, yeah. um, you know, for us, you know, being situated in Kansas, we're, you know, we have a lot of people that are very interested in uh, global food systems. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly we have folks that are interested in what we might call community vitality, community development, or, um, entrepreneurship led economic development, you know, especially for sure. some of our, our rural communities in Kansas.
0: Very much needed, um, very mm-hmm. much needed. Yeah.
1: And, and I think in some ways that's why it's important to me that I have that, that, that civic in front of the lens of leadership. So if I were to talk about my research interests, I would say that, you know, I'm interested in leadership in organizations and community for the purposes of democracy. But, but in a title, I think the, the, the language of civic is important to me because the way that I operationalize that, and I think many at the school think of civic is, is, the, is the social, political, economic and moral spheres of society. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: so, you know, when I think about the courses I teach and the research agenda that I'm advancing uh, in some ways it exists and how do we move through those spheres productively and 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 try to understand what engagement looks like in those various spheres to make progress on challenges and and increasingly the practice lens is is what's informing, you know, that 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 framework, right? How do we create productive disagreements? How do we understand interactions in ways that are culturally responsive? Uh, How do we uh, move through systems and understand the impact of systems uh, in ways that, you know, impact people differently depending on their social location, right? And I think those are questions that guide my teaching, my research, and a lot of the work at the Staley School.
0: Damn, I... I tried to build that kind of thing when I called it the public service division, I should never use the word division. That was the first mistake as I'm looking (laughs) back on it. Uh, No, that is almost exactly why I chose to do that right after I finished my doctorate partly because I really needed to be back in Maine for my family. But um, also I felt in Maine, since that's how I grew up, we didn't know better than to walk into with with appointments into any office, whether it's the governor or the president of a bank, and say, "I'm Dave. Um, w- let's talk. Let's do some business." It was a for a period of time. It was an easy place to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. You didn't really feel that you didn't belong, and that and it, that's partly why I wanted my kids to experience that in a small town in Maine when they were in their growing up time, and it's helped them ever since. But my point is that we had organized around uh the major uh issues confronting families and small businesses in maine not Mm -hmm. us as researchers so when energy crisis in the 70s hit we developed an energy solution with a couple of faculty who had some really cool ideas and well-grounded ideas and then we raised the money to go after it when we mentioned the health education. We had the worst health statistics you can imagine out in that county. And so we felt that the main problem was behavioral. So mm-hmm. we attacked that. Uh, so, and and I work with the Cooperative Extension Service, by the way, and anyone else who I could work with. But it, it, I felt over the years that maybe because I was moving away from directly from that work, that we kept coming up again and again with the almost requirement that at least universities and colleges having that a faculty member needed to be in a spot in a niche, nailed down, and do the work specifically that people understood within that niche. And yeah. I I was bombing all around my campus here that where the last 30 years I was working at regional campus, I would make relationships with any department on campus, uh, 15,000 students. So it was a lot of people to, and saying, well, let's, you know, come in let's connect, let's get, let, let's get some, some real energy going. In. And then, but you're in a business school, you you know, what are you doing over here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll show you my liberal arts credential. No, that's, <laughs> so there's a, that, I, I don't know if it's a default system, hopefully it's going away, but what's your perspective? Because you seem to have found a place yeah. that has figured out at least through some power arrangement that you can move around freely in the cabin of civic life <laughs> and yeah. study as you, as you think is needed.
1: Yeah, you know, well, and I I think, though, that's unique to Kansas State University and the Staley School. You know, we have a really big commitment to leadership and engagement, and the way that we often talk about that is through the lens of community-engaged scholarship, and Mm -hmm. I know that that is not the case, even at other colleges and departments at my own campus, right? You know, um, a lot of folks that are coming from a more traditional disciplinary lens you know their tenure and promotion guidelines still expect them to meet certain metrics and mm-hmm. publish in certain uh, journals and oftentimes what that means is they have to let theory guide their research paradigm and the questions they ask whereas you know what's unique about the leadership communication phd program and and our commitments at the staley school is that we want partnership to guide our questions right and oftentimes that partnership informs like specific challenges that oh, yeah. people are interested in and that's that's typically how we contextualize a lot of our work both from the perspective of engaged learning when we have students maybe doing what we might call service learning or engaged learning mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. a community or organization we we usually try to first start off with partnership as as the guiding principle and then you know find ways to work with uh groups right and i think that's a different paradigm for a lot of scholars
0: oh very different but it seems to me that if if i were the scholar that belongs with you guys that i would want to first find out where the where the heat is you know in the uh, infrared kind of looking at at community and community energies whether i'm looking at a corporate for heat or looking at a town or set of towns i'm looking for heat i'm looking for where people's concerns are high either because they are excited and something great's happening, or they're terrified and something horrible's happening. But you go to the heat. Mm-hmm. Now, it, I used to say this when with my friend at Kellogg, who was very bright guy. He said, "You know, Dave, problems do not organize themselves by department. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know," yeah. he said. Problems That's are true. problems, and and you, the more perspectives you can get looking at that problem investigating the more likely yeah. you are you're going to get solutions and yeah. by the way solutions is what the foundation wants mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. journal articles are nice yeah. but not until you've got some solutions so i'm getting to to the point here uh, believe me i'm getting to the point when you're out there and you're around where the heat spots are uh you say that you you, you identify something that could inform theory could shake theory and move theory in another direction. Do you mm-hmm. have that experience, which in a way you're doing with leadership as practice to impact theory and theoreticians, the academics who do need to publish and all the rest, mm-hmm. but need fresh, something fresh.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, Dave, I, I think you're spot on there with, you know, that this concept of heat, you know, guiding where community engaged scholars look for work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminds me of, you know, the the, High fits adaptive leadership at the productive yeah. zone of disequilibrium. Whereas yeah. a lot, when I think about a lot of the community engaged scholarship that our graduate students are doing and our, our research faculty are doing, they're often in that space, right? Maybe they're working with a community that's trying to maybe lower the heat into mm-hmm. the productive zone, uh, mm-hmm. or or they're in a space where there's not enough heat and the group's trying to organize to, to raise the heat to be a little bit more productive. And so, a lot of our research is, is really process-based, um, process right? And I think that's what lends itself to the leadership as practice frame is that we're really interested in questions of process. And so, when we think about leadership and, and associated research, we're, we're not typically looking at what many would assume is the quote-unquote leader or, or someone occupying a, a formal role. Um, we're interested in what dynamics of co-emergence are helping groups, organizations and and communities get the right people together to, to try to make some progress on an issue. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's what sets this work apart and our unit and our, our, you know, programs um, differently than some other programs.
0: Peter Vale, as, as I was Working on conjecture number 32 of the 32 conjectures in, in our book, uh, Practices a Way of Being. In con- number 32, he was, uh, dur- he was addressing his concerns about uh, just what we're discussing in this conversation, that uh, theory, the, the academy, the people who uh, make their living with theory, mm-hmm. have such a gap from where things actually do happen. Mm-hmm. that there's a lag between the theory and the new theory and the, those who can acquire it and also uh, some very very difficult uh, ground to cross to get to the theory uh and practice marriage or what he called a dance yeah but he he used two two words uh, which I, I used last just yesterday with a convening that uh uh bowling green university held uh the two words the two sentiments he wrote was practice delivers practice is process So mm-hmm. you think it, mm-hmm. practice delivers and practice is process so if yeah. i were looking at theoreticians i'm saying okay let me just follow this this very energetic uh, guy brandon out to the field first i'd be seeing what is actually getting done Practice delivers. And who's doing the practicing? Well, it's not just one person. It's a com- mm-hmm. combination of people, but it's delivering. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that is what I used to think it was the last mile in my work. And you get so close, but if you're not really impacting the life of people to the extent that they'll see their way to, to, to improvement and change, you haven't made it yet. Yeah. So practice delivers. But Peter wrote a lot in his career about process wisdom practice is process too. So process is not one person just organizing herself to get something done. It, it, it's collective and social and it's enacted socially so that again, if Peter were on this call, and I'm running out of, of my clock on this for Brandon, but if he were on this call, he'd be going there, you, Dave, there. That's that's who, That's who. what I was talking about right there. What that Staley stool's doing, what Brandon's doing, what what Kansas is benefiting by, what the baskets of ideas that could be coming back to campus and shaken on on the table uh, for, for people who want to propose some conjectures at least about the nature of anything can grab a, a bit here and there, make a salad, make something happen. And that to me was what, universe, and to Peter Vale, because he was the dean of that very large business uh, school of business and government at george washington he said that's what that's what we're supposed to be we're supposed to get get out bring back the messes as he called it and and make sense out of them make meaning teach our students how to do that too because that's how they're going to survive in the white water world and uh and we could all be very proud of being university people
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i really appreciate that perspective dave because you know, I think going back to your original question around you know theory and who who makes it and how it's made, you mm-hmm. know, I think the, the the traditional model, it's you know, the 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 grand theorist who sits in the ivory tower and ponders the, the grand questions and
0: mm. you know, in I, the chin.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's a place for that, right? And and right, I
0: think thinkers, sure.
1: Yeah, there's a place for that. But when you take on a community engaged scholarship and a leadership as practice frame, it completely breaks apart that paradigm, right? It, it values and recognizes a broader range of knowing uh, that, that is embedded in that process, right? Okay. So, when we think practice is process, that that I think also speaks to this shift to understanding theory and practice differently. That um, even though the theorizing we, under, we, we do in practice and process uh, might not look like the the theory done in a lot of academic journals. It's still mm-hmm. there, right? And it's it's incumbent of the community engaged scholar to create the conditions and processes for that to emerge in the group of people that you're working with, right? And that's go. That's, that's the go. that's the theory building component. And and you know, to the logistics of this, Dave. You know, I think as a scholar, you know, I, I want my methods and theories to be you know, consistent both in, in form and philosophy, right? Like the the idea that I want methods that develop the capacity of a group to make sense and make meaning of their experience, mm-hmm. and then in that, I think there's also some ways to make some theoretical contributions that might be of interest to those traditional peer-reviewed articles, right? Those traditional peer-reviewed sure. journals.
0: Well, two th- two things. While you're working with that group, because you do have, you are at in a uh, in numbers of different theories, you can. Uh, offer your perspective and even cite, cite it and help them understand the why it's so important to have a scholar in their presence, working with them, uh, because, you know, you could be gently generous with, uh, well, this is what so-and-so has said, and this corresponds to what you're doing. Okay. So I think that it's a, it's a give and take, but on the other hand, uh, I will do one more reminiscent, I promise. Well, I can picture a group that we did pull together to create the um, the proposal, if you will, to Kellogg, and and I had some doctors and some other sort of uh, official practitioners, if you will, from by title in the in some of these conversations. But I had one person who was the I think we call them selectmen of a little town called Phillips, uh, who happened. Uh, to have grown up there and uh, was considered a, a thought an influential person in Phillips and around the county, so I had him in, and we were talking, and everyone was throwing their best big words out there, mm-hmm. almost like a contest to show who was the smartest in the room. And this fellow uh, said, "Well, could I just?" asked you to listen to a very brief story and he told the story and he told it about some of his relatives who were struggling with alcohol abuse for the early days de- early stages of when drugs were coming into the county some of the things that are happening uh to the he said the oldest living family member is 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 only you know like fifty two mm. because of the he said now i've given you a bunch of things this is my family i'm talking about and i'm opening up my my, my shirt here to show you from the heart that mm-hmm. we have desperate conditions and we're, we, we don't have the remedies. And if you can help us with those remedies, I'd be very, and it's, the group just, everything just changed from that point. Mm-hmm. And we started to ground it. in fact, when we were writing, we said, well, what would Phil say? Is this authentic to what Phil is living here in these, in these conditions and in trying to lead a town and, with a budget of like 12 bucks. And so you go, the voices are so important that uh, they can shape the, even the, the theory makers mm-hmm. if we can get access. Uh, so yeah, we've we've we got to do, the, I don't know how much more of this you could take. I would love to have more of these kind of conversations with you, Brandon, certainly sometimes for the podcast, but you're on, you're on such a great footing for a wonderful career. Um, Just terrific career.
1: Well, I really appreciate that, Dave. Um, I do feel very fortunate to be here at the Staley School around um, talented colleagues and committed graduate students and undergraduate students that that share this commitment to community engaged scholarship and leadership and engagement. So I, I really appreciate you saying that.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I was thinking, could, could we do a, like a Freaky Friday thing and I could become you and you could become this old guy <laughs> sitting, here, sitting here living uh, through his, uh, his computer screen. Uh, well, I David, just would love to be doing the work that you're doing. And, and, and please do it for those of us who can't anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're ever out this way, we'll have to show you around this daily school and uh, uh, give, you a, give you a tour of Kansas.
0: It would be a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: No, thank you, Dave. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
0: If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcast page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to InactionResearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show.